Well, um, if you're new here, welcome. My name is Jose, and we're going to continue in our study of uh, 1 Corinthians. We are up to the end of chapter 4, and uh, just to recap, some of you just walked in. This letter was written out of relationship, and the first section, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, are about one theme, uh, be united, live united. Uh, because like happens in most families, businesses, organizations, schools, the tendency of life is to drift apart and to be disunified because my opinion and your opinion, they may not meet up together. And so his word to the church in four chapters is, I need you to stay on the same page. Some say I follow, others say I follow. No, no, we all belong to Jesus. We're a part of his one global family. And the church in Corinth is just one church of the many church expressions all around the known world. And this is just a timely words. So what we're going to do is going to read the end of that, which is this call to unity. And then next week, we're going to pick up in chapter five, which I want to set up the stage for, because remember, this letter is written out of genuine relationship. And so Paul moved to Corinth. He's not from this city. And he found people and he shared the good news of Jesus. He spent 18 months with them, teaching them the Bible in light of Jesus. And because he loved them so much, and he began this small church that began to grow in house to house, he stayed in touch with them, writing letters back and forth as Paul moved on to plant more churches across the Roman Empire. So remember this, when he gives a call to unity, it's a call out of relationship. He knows these people and he loves them. So when we look at what we're going to look at over the next seven to eight weeks, I, I need to emphasize this again and again and again. This is all done out of relationship out of genuine friendship and love. And the conversations we're gonna have are all because we're united in Jesus. It's not like we have to become united through our own effort. No, we actually are brothers and sisters, the Bible says. We're related because of the power of Jesus and his giving of the Holy Spirit. If you belong to Christ, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. So am I. So is everyone in your row that belongs to Jesus. And so while the cultural tend is to be disunified, I mean, we're seeing it all over the place, especially in the political year. And the rhetoric is about how bad you are and how great I am. We need to remember that the church is always called to be united. Now, they were working out their faith, and this is a reminder. The letter is about how to grow in following Jesus. They've already a few years into it, and this is a helpful tool for us when we gather and we worship that we remember that we're all working out our faith. Some of you have been working out your faith for 20, 30 years. Others of you, you're new to exploring Jesus and you're beginning to think about the implications. But no matter how far along you are in your relationship with God, there's always more to be worked out. And in this case, they need a word of clarity and correction. So as we're gonna look at chapters five and forward, it's all about real issues. Some are issues that he hears about and he needs to bring a corrective and a clarifying word. Others, because these letters are going back and forth, were questions they had about. What do we do about this? What do we do about this in light of Jesus? And so in this next season as a church, we're going to be dropping in on their conversation, and you're going to find that these ancient challenges are very modern. They're very now. And just because some of the lingo is different doesn't mean the issues don't change. We are all facing the how do we live in light of following Jesus in a culture that does not. And by the way, a hundred years ago, this letter would have seemed a little more foreign 
Because in America, many more people in, in the public sphere was more connected to the way of Jesus, at least in terms of vision and values. There was a greater alignment in the culture at large with the Bible, and that has faded. And in our day, we're closer to the situation that they're going through in Corinth. How do you follow Jesus in a city that doesn't care? Well, fortunately, many of you were here last week, and Pastor Simon, Simon, wasn't he good? He was so good. Pastor Simon gave a message about the difference between a contract and a covenant. And if you did not listen, please do me a favor. This week, go on YouTube or on our podcast and watch it. Because I said, share whatever you want. He had no idea how profound and how timely his word was going to be because he had no idea that I was going to preach this text. Oh, by the way, we are going to get into the Bible. Disclaimer, it's going to take about 30 minutes to get there. I'm not exaggerating because all of this foundation needs to be laid for the next seven weeks of our journey together. Uh, but when we get to the Bible, we're going to be talking about the contrast between what our culture's vision and values is and the culture and vision and values of Jesus. And remember from last week, a covenant is an agreement, 100% and 100%. God is 100% committed to you. He's given himself, he's sent his son to die and rise again to pay for our sin debt in full. He's 100% committed to you. But now, if you actually follow the way of Jesus, you're not in a contract. Like, if I do this for you, Jesus, you do this for me. That's not how this works. The Bible speaks of covenant. We are now 100% committed to following his way. 100%. Now, this is why the Bible letters matter. We're actually not 100% committed, are we? We long to be. So the letters of the New Testament cast the vision and values of following Jesus in real scenarios so that when I think about what Jesus said, I can now also look at how this applied to other Jesus people and I can move towards 100% commitment to following him. Now, why does this matter? 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1, we're gonna look at this next Sunday. It is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate a man is sleeping with his father's wife. Welcome to church. That's next week. But I want to throw that out there because here's what's happening. There's activity going on in the church by someone in the church that everyone in the culture knows is wrong and everyone in the church knows is wrong, but no one's speaking up. No one's talking about it. No one's saying, hey, wait a minute. This doesn't flow with life in covenant relationship with God. So it needs to be addressed. So here's the idea that I wanna press in today. We are called to think and live as followers of Jesus. So what we're gonna do in the next eight weeks during our community groups, this is week one of the eight-week journey, is we have purposely carved out this section for this time because we don't just want to blindly follow Jesus because the Bible says this, so I got to do that, even though I don't think it's true. And that's some of you right now. You're going along because mom and dad said, it, said to do it or your other Christian friend said to do it. We actually want to think of something more deeply and more profound. God wants to impact us at the deepest levels of how we think. 
And so what we want to do is explore what God says so we can begin to think as followers of Jesus, not just follow along as robots, because God wants to transform us in the renewing of our mind so that we will know the good and perfect and pleasing will of God, and we can walk in it, and we can actually honor Jesus with our lives. That's the goal, okay? So that's where we're headed. And with that, I need to talk today first, and we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 4. At the end, it'll be a short thought about that text, because I'm really setting you up for next week. We want to think about the vision of Corinth and the vision of the church, because they're in conflict with one another. And the thoughts going on in people in the culture was very different than the Bible. And even in the church, some people came from a Jewish tradition, and they had Bible training and Bible thinking and Bible mindset. And then they met and heard about Jesus, the Messiah. So it, it all made sense. Others, most in the church, didn't grow up with the Bible. But they heard this message about Jesus who forgives sin. So they followed Jesus, but they've been, they've been indoctrinated. Their mindset has been formed by their educational system, by the religious system in Corinth, which was eclectic, and by the vision and values that they were seeing and hearing all around them. So they all get together in church, and even Jesus' people weren't agreeing on what it means to think and live in the way of Jesus. And that means that we live in a world with competing worldviews. Now, all right, let's go back to the basics. What is a worldview? Just take a photo or write this down. A worldview is a web of habit-forming beliefs about the biggest questions of life that helps you make sense of all your experience. You don't buy like a worldview on Amazon, like one click and you download it. No, you already have a worldview and your worldview helps you make sense of the world and the experiences all around you. And so what we're gonna be talking about is something that is assumed. You have one, I have one, we have, but if we wrote out our worldview, we would find out we're not on the same page about a lot of things. But yet, those ideas, the deeper level thoughts and visions we have in our mind about what life is about are what actually propel our behavior. You are living out of your worldview. Your belief about what is, is what's causing you to do what you do or avoid what you avoid. And we don't think about it. But what Paul's gonna be addressing here is embracing a biblical view of the world. Now, what am I talking about? Questions like this. Does God exist? That's a worldview question. How did everything begin? The origins, how did we get here? What's wrong with the world? Everyone agrees that the world is broken, but what is it that's broken? What's the ultimate solution? How do we, how do we improve? Who am I? That's a, like, who, who am I really? Am I just biology? Am I just DNA? Is there more to me? Why am I here? Purpose. That's a worldview question. Without a sense of purpose, how am I gonna bring any meaning into what I do every day if it's all just random? Am I living a good life? How do you define that is your worldview? And then the ultimate question in terms of destiny, what happens after this life is over? What happens when I die? Okay, all of these are formed, and again, it's shaped by what you see and hear and think about. These all speak to your view of the world, by the way, this changes over time. Your worldview is being shaped all the time. All the time. That's why what you put in matters because you think you're just putting stuff into your mind. 
But those thoughts are embedding deeply and shaping what you believe about life. So we need to think about how we consider the big questions of life. Now, you say, Jose, what does that have to do with 1 Corinthians 4? I'm getting there eventually. Um, let's just talk about the culture. How many people in America, what percentage of Americans have what we would call a biblical worldview? It's actually a really good organization, very reputable, the Barna Research Group, and they have tracked this over time. I'm gonna give you the stats from one taken about six or seven years ago, and it speaks to the worldview by age demographic. Let's just throw it on the screen. Boomers, those of you 60 to 78, about 10% of boomers in America, about one in 10, hold a biblical worldview. I'm not saying 10% of Christians. I'm saying 10% of Americans that are a boomer generation have some sort of biblical worldview. Gen X, that's one age younger, 45 to 59, about 7% millennials, 28 to 43, 6% Gen Z, about 4%. I just want you to notice the trend on the right side of the screen. With every generation in America, there are fewer who claim to even hold a view of the world. Where did I come from? Where's the world going? What's wrong with the world? What's the solution? How do I live the good life? Where am I going after I die? When we ask those fundamental questions of life, fewer and fewer in each generation are answering in a way that's in alignment with the Bible. By the way, this is very much in line with the city of Corinth. So we're not the first people to address living in a culture that most don't embrace a biblical worldview. Oh, by the way, if you're thinking of Gen Z like there's no hope, I've never seen a generation more passionate to follow Jesus, okay? So there's great news. God's working amongst young people like never before. But when you look at the whole of the culture, people are informed by social media more than anything else, and they could already tell you their favorite TikTokers and the latest trend, the moment it's happening on screen, it's being mimicked around the world. So people are being informed in all sorts of ways and all sorts of voices. I would just suggest in the church, I'm speaking to us, we need to think about, are we helping our young people even know what a biblical worldview is? and why it really matters if they're gonna follow Jesus. So our view is shaped by everything we see in here, and it needs to be shaped because following Jesus is not a Sunday thing, it's about all of life. Sunday should propel you to think about Jesus in fresh ways so that as you go throughout the week, you're asking yourself, am I moving in the way of Jesus or am I moving away from the way of Jesus? Am I in line with him or do I need a realignment? Now. When we think about worldview, I wanna focus in, because the text is, gonna focus in on an area where there are so many questions today in America, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, when it comes to questions around human sexuality. Because personhood is being questioned today. What it means to be a person. What it means to embrace a gender identity is being re-questioned. Am I human or can I identify as something not human? And that's, this is not, I'm not making fun. This is actually happening right now. I identify as a fox. And we shouldn't joke because this isn't a joke. The worldview, if it's not biblically informed, 
will lead you in all sorts of directions. And so what we want to do as a church is ask ourselves, what does marriage and singleness look like in light of the way of Jesus? Uh, Who am I supposed to commit my life to? What is following Jesus in light of the conversations around lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, and more? What does following Jesus look like in light of all of these identities? And as a church, we don't want to avoid or make light. And the last thing we want to do, hear me again and again and again and again. We don't want to bash anybody. Because I don't see Jesus bashing anybody except for religious bigots who say they follow God outwardly, but in their heart are corrupt. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we want to humble ourselves, but ask the deep questions of life because there are answers. Now, having already started this conversation and having communicated publicly for 30 years, I can read an audience and I already see that this is disturbing. And I I get that. Emotions are going to be provoked, not intentionally. But when you talk about the deepest things of life, who I am, the moment you hear an idea that's contrary to yours, when it comes to something that you deeply hold as true, the first thing that's gonna happen before logic is emotion. I'm gonna feel before I think. So feel free to feel. And that is good. And the reason we waited to do this during community groups is this is not going to be a lecture and take it or leave it. This is the road, walk therein. No, we're going to talk about these things in our community groups because these things really, really matter. Not only are these conversations important to following Jesus, these conversations have hit public policy. So how do we live as Jesus followers in a culture where in classrooms and in boardrooms, you are being told, I am being told, you must embrace this is right and true or you're harassing someone. How do we, as the people of God, respond to questions like these? Some of you are like, man, I'm ready to get into it. I told you we'll get to the Bible eventually. But this is important that we set the tone. Everyone, take out your phone and take a photo of this next slide. It's imperative that you memorize it by next Sunday. This is not Bible, this is my statement. Navigating the next few chapters in 1 Corinthians and the implications they bring requires three things. A heart filled with what? Wow, I've missed, I, the funny thing is, I typed this manually and I messed up my own slide. Next out, a heart filled with love, which is close, a mind marked by humility, and a soul saturated with compassion to love people both inside and out of the church or outside of the Christian faith. We need our hearts marked by love or compassion. We need our minds, we need our minds marked by humility to think and to embrace that in this church, you are gonna encounter Jesus-loving people who do not think about everything in the same way as you. Now, we already know this to be true, but now we're talking about worldview stuff. We're not talking about, do I, you know, am I for the Niners, for this group, or whatever? we're not talking about frivolous. We're talking about, we're talking about things that really, really matter to how people are living their lives. So, 
we have to remember that my mind needs to be marked by humility and my soul, my inner being, needs to be filled with compassion to love. Um, and this is where historically, I think all of us have experienced the harsh side of truth. By the way, Jesus was 100% grace and 100% truth, 100%, 100% of the time. He never wavered on truth. He never wa wavered on grace. So we wanna be the people of God who uphold the truth 100%. We're in covenant relationship with God. We don't, get, we don't get the right to make the rules. The maker makes the rules. But we are marked 100% by the grace of God. And we learn to be good listeners, not just good talkers. And this is the goal of working this out in groups. Okay, here's the plan, and then we're gonna get into 1 Corinthians 4. We've mapped this over the next seven weeks. We realize on Sundays, you're not gonna get everything. Here's why. We're in a very mixed audience. Some of you are parents. You have your young ones here. I've already got you a little triggered because you're like, you started saying some words we don't say in our house. And so what do we do here? We're gonna be very thoughtful on Sundays. The illustrations, the explanations are gonna be very age appropriate, realizing you have your elementary school child here. We're gonna think about this and we're gonna talk in general terms here, knowing that your littles are here and we want you to have appropriate conversations at the right time. When's the right time? When you say the right time is, not when I say the right time is, okay? Now, we're not gonna avoid though these conversations. We're just gonna be sensitive. This means a lot of detailed conversations gonna happen in our community groups, which is why the guided questions, look, if you miss one of the next seven weeks, please watch or listen before you show up because we're gonna have general thought on Sunday, but real application in your group because you can gauge the conversation depending on who's in the room. And if the kids are there, you need to be careful. If the kids are in another room, then you could speak more freely. At the same time, we are doing a series in our youth marked at the same time. Ours is seven to eight weeks. Theirs is 10 weeks. We're using a curriculum for theirs. And those of you parents, you've already got an email about that. You already know about the lunch afterwards. If you just wanna hear what's gonna go on in our youth and how we're gonna approach this here, if you're a community group leader, you already got this invite. But if you're just here afterwards, you're like, how are we gonna approach this? And you have questions. There's gonna be a meeting. I don't even know where. Where is this meeting? Side auditorium, right after this gathering. We have food, and if you... You didn't sign up, who cares, show up, and we'll eat less, okay? We want you there to have those questions answered. So this is gonna be good. Now there are gonna be some hyper-specific questions that you can't do in your community group or you want some expert panel on. We have a podcast called the Life in Jesus Podcast, and we're gonna take many of the questions that are coming up in your group. Your group leader is gonna gather some questions, and we're gonna just do a Q&A on our podcast so that you can listen at the right time. And if your kids are there, you can put the headphones in and watch them. Make sense? We're gonna hit this at every layer because we wanna help people experience life in Jesus. And in order to do that, we need to run towards what the Bible says about our worldview. All right, now, open your Bible. Okay, that was all intro. Now a short reflection, because this actually leads to next week. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 4. I'm gonna start in verse 14, and we'll read to the end. He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you. As my dear children, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. 
For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who's faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some of you become arrogant. I said, probably not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. How's that for a line? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Now, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Okay, now, that sounds like, whoa, who does he think he is? Well, actually, he knows who he is. Two things I want us to remember as we get into conversations about our view of the world in light of Jesus. Number one, write this down. Following Jesus implies that we live under God's authority. Let's just say that together. One, two, three. Following Jesus implies that we live under God's authority. Not above, not equal, under. That's why he says in verse 14, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you. You see, you can get this wrong. Corinth, by the way, as a city, they boasted in the fact that they were founded by Julius Caesar himself. They considered Julius Caesar their father. Paul's brilliant. He's just using play on words in the culture. So if you're from Corinth, yeah, we're a city from Julius Caesar was our father, and now the current Caesar is our father. We belong to Rome. We belong to the leaders. We are somebody. And he reminds the church, this is so helpful. He says, those of you who follow Jesus in Corinth, you belong to a city within the city. You're not just a part of Corinth. You now belong to the city, the family of God. And by the way, he says, Julius Caesar was a leader who founded it, and guess who the father is in this household? Paul says, I'm the father. Now, Paul didn't save them, but Paul was the vehicle by which they heard the good news. And so he's like, as Corinth looks to Caesar for leadership, you need to be looking at the right place for your vision and values. And if you get your way of living from Corinth and don't consider Jesus and the way that I taught you, you're gonna find yourself off course. That's why I'm warning you, this stuff matters. Verse 15, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, guardians in Christ. Again, he's using the terms in their culture. If you are a wealthy person, you sent your kids off to school and you sent them off with literal guardians. Some of your servants, some of your slaves, some of your staff, they took care of your kids to protect them on the way to school and on the way home and to care for them. And so if you're a household with kids and servants, that child may have four or five different guardians. And he's like, in the culture, there are lots of people trying to help out, but not many Fathers, you gotta remember, I'm the father in the faith for you. And by the way, all of us can think of fathers and mothers in the faith that helped us get to where we are, can't we? I mean, think of my mom and dad, my biological mom and dad are not only my parents, they're my parents in the faith. And they helped me to know who Jesus is and love him. And they've modeled the way of Jesus 
not perfectly, some flaws there, but, um, but, 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 but well, and I love them for it. So when I think of following Jesus, I think of my parents' help. But then I also have other leaders in the faith. I think of the late Luis Palau, who's now a Jesus. I, I say I have my dad, and then I have my evangelism dad. When I was 21, I met Luis Palau, and he helped me understand what it means to be an evangelist and share the gospel. And, and I walked and talked with him. And sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm like, wow, Luis, that was like your line through my lips. Because that's what happens when you have parents in the faith. And by the way, so do you. You have people that have built into you. And so what he's saying is warning, warning, listen to your parents in the faith, not just the people in the culture. He goes to bold to say, verse 16, Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. No, he's not just saying, eat sushi because I like sushi or go for the Chiefs because Taylor Swift's dating dating, uh, Travis Kelsey. Like, he's not just saying, like, follow my whims because, you know, I'm the leader. No, he's saying people shape your worldview. People shape your worldview. And so he's saying, if you want to follow Jesus, Think of those who are modeling Christ-like living and follow me. He's saying, take my view of the world and evaluate this view, which belongs to the Bible, belongs to God, and I need you to consider it as your worldview because the vision of the culture you live in is far from the heart of God. I'm gonna say it again. Following Jesus implies that we live under God's authority. Now, that's already ruffled many feathers, because we're living in a day that says, I get to choose the difference between right and wrong. I get to choose my vision for how to live my life. It's my life. You do you, I do me. And while that sounds attractive, uh, to those in the culture, I say, go for that. To those of us in covenant relationship with Jesus, He's 100% committed to us. I'm 100% committed to him. That's not an option. So here's what we have. God's given us the scriptures. You have the Bible. You can know what God says about all things that matter. Now, the word trans is not in the Bible, right? So how do I navigate a modern term, which, by the way, is modern. The word wasn't even used 200, 300 years ago. But, but th- these terms that are modernly coined and have deep meaning, right? How, how in the world do I know? Well, God's told us enough that we can apply it to every situation. So we have the Bible. We have leaders. We have Pauls in the faith. We have Priscilla's and Aquila's in the faith. We have leaders in the faith. We've been handed, and by the way, for us, we have 2,000 years of rich reflection on the Bible that we've been given. And by the way, it's all online. You want to know what's been thought about? It's all there. There's no shortage of information. You can't use ignorance. Is it? Well, I had no idea the church thought that. Learn how to read. Okay? Now, that was a little mean, but that was intentional. All right. So here's my point. This, if you follow Jesus, is not optional. This isn't optional. You and I don't get to say, I'm gonna live by my authority and follow Jesus. 
we're going to have to humbly say, I follow you, Jesus. Now, most of me in my inner being doesn't want to help me, though. Help me. You have the Bible. You have leaders. And we have the Holy Spirit who's living in us, who gives us the power to obey, even when we don't want to. Point is, we are never alone in this journey. We're not like finding a worldview out there, and I hope it's right. No, God has given us the Bible, he's given us the church, and he's given us the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, who is the ultimate authority in your life when it comes to what's right and wrong? Who's the ultimate authority? You're gonna have to, you know, you already have an answer, you already have a worldview, but let me just reflect, write this down. The scriptures are the very words of God. So, so if we're, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I've been given the scriptures, and the scriptures are the ultimate authority by which we are called to live. So what God says is right is in fact right. What God says is wrong is in fact wrong. And I'll speak on behalf of God for a moment. I'll do it with humility, but I'm going to speak the truth. God doesn't need your help on determining what's right and wrong. Your opinion matters, but you're the creation, not the creator. And so we have to humble ourselves as Christians and say, if God says it's good, it's good. And if God is, is calling me to live in a way, I can live in that way because Jesus followers always sit under the scriptures, not above it. Second thing, and this won't need a lot of reflection because we're gonna pick up on it next week. Following Jesus implies that we live under the authority of God's family. Some of you have become arrogant, verse 18, as if I were not coming to you, but I'm gonna come to you very soon. And how do we actually know we're following the way of Jesus. Well, I'm just gonna tell you this. If it weren't for Jesus' followers, you wouldn't know anything. It was Jesus' followers who faithfully wrote down and translated the Bible for all these centuries. It's Jesus' followers who have accurately thought and researched and interpreted the Bible in ways that we can understand it. It's Jesus' followers. So yes, my authority and my allegiance is to Jesus, right? But I'm also under the authority of God's people, which, which meant, if this is an unpopular message today, I don't know what is. Our world has thrown off all authority other than personal authority. But that's in every bit of life, not just in spiritual thought. Our boss is just a person. They don't have real authority over me. I'll get a new job. My parents aren't that wise. They gave me birth. They pay for everything, 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 everything. But you know what? They don't know better than me. Again, what we need is to realize our cultural worldview says you are supreme and everyone else is supreme to themselves. Therefore, you do you, I do me. And then we all wonder why it's hard to have an argument about anything when I'm right and you're right and we're both right. How do you have an honest discussion when opposite views, complete opposite views, must be respected and be seen as truthful even though they're incongruent? No wonder we're struggling because that worldview is out there. We need to critique it. We don't just need to swallow it. 
we need to think, is that rationable, reasonable? Is it God-honoring? So what worldview fits with the way of Jesus? This is why we need the church, because left alone, we're going to have an opinion that may be partly informed well and may need some adjustments, so we need one another. So we're called to live under God's authority and under the authority of a local church. Now, let me speak to this. At the same token, we have to say, we've all experienced hurt in the church because people are people. And Jesus is perfect and his followers are growing in grace and fail and fall. So I, I, when I say that we live under God's authority and under people's authority, I'm not saying blindly follow anyone with a degree or some sort of website or role or book. No, we're discerning, we're prayerful. We bring everything to the group of people we know and trust and we, we, we think about what's right. And even in our church, we have layers of authority. So I'm one elder of many and I'm under their authority and yet we're equally leading the church together. And our staff is under the leadership and guidance of elders. And, and our community group leaders are leading, but they're doing it under the leadership of our staff and our elder team. We all are on teams. Leadership in the Bible is always seen in team. So I'm not saying blindly follow anyone, but at the same token, remember, Paul has a right to speak the truth in love to this church and to call them to obedience. And to say, that if you're going to follow Jesus, this is what's right. And we're going to see next week, his bigger issue with the person who's doing something that's wrong, that even the culture is like, would never allow that in the culture. What he's actually speaking to is the church and no one's saying anything about it. His word isn't so much to the person. He will deal with the person and their view of the world and God and sexuality, which is off. But his actual, actually, his word is to the church to say, how are we allowing this to be when this is blatantly wrong? So here's what's going to happen. As we navigate these topics, some of the information you're going to receive is new. And so we want you to process that. By the way, every week when you have questions that come out of this, go to your community group leader, go to your community group first and talk it through. But at the same token, if you need to reach out to one of the elders, someone on staff, one of our leaders that are here, and, and ask honest questions and push back and say, did you really say, did you really mean this? And, and show me in the text what that's like. And, and here's my thought on it. Feel free to do that. We are in conversation together. This isn't one way. But truth isn't squishy. And that's what we need to remember. There are going to be some absolutes in the Bible that are going to push all of our envelopes. And the reason that our envelopes being pushed is because we're swimming in waters that are saying a different story. So we're not just talking about opinions, we're talking about a clash of worldviews. And when you get to worldview issues, we feel emotion first and logic second. I'll, I'll apply it and we're gonna respond in worship. Whenever we say that something is not right when it comes to sexual expression, as a Jesus follower, two things are happening. Your mind is saying, I know God is right, so I'm gonna stick with God. But part of you is saying, 
does this have to be right? Because they're a nice person. And they just, I care, I care about them deeply. And like, I can't, God, can't there be an exception here? And it is okay to feel that way because you're dealing with a worldview issue and your emotions are gonna rise up because you actually feel deeply for these wonderful people that God loves and you love. So know that there can be a discontinuity with what you feel and what you believe to be true. And we have to wrestle with that tension and then ask God for a heart that's filled with his love, with minds that are marked by humility, with souls that are saturated with compassion. Okay, as we respond, here's what I know to be true. Some of you right now are feeling very vulnerable and like, I gotta get out of here fast because you know that in your soul, some things that you think, believe, hold to be true, embrace, walk in, might be out of alignment with scripture and God's authority. And here's what I need you to know. No one's pointing any fingers at you. Nobody. Jesus was really clear to people with hypocrisy. Let the person without sin throw the first stone. So you can feel comfortable with, not everyone, finding a few people who love and follow Jesus and saying, actually, this isn't theory here. Here's where I'm at. And I, I would encourage you over the next few weeks to allow space in your soul and the safety of the community group that you know and love. Don't shout it from the rooftops because some people may misunderstand that and some Christians are mean. Absolutely mean. And I don't want them to come in and steal the joy of your life. But we do need to have these honest conversations and say, Holy Spirit of God, I'm bringing all of my life to you and I'm a little nervous to do that but I want to live in a 100% covenant relationship with you. So even what I think about my body, I wanna bring to your love and I need your empowering presence to walk me through this, okay? And, and, and Jesus-loving people, especially those of you who grew up in church traditions that yelled at everybody, can you just not do that? Like literally, I'm... I'm I'm pleading with you to be quiet and to allow people to share their life. And as they do, and as you listen, compassion from Jesus is the right response. Never avoiding truth, but 100% grace and 100% truth. Now, how do we do that? We need Jesus. So let's respond. Let's stand on your feet. And we're gonna respond and worship as a family. And look, I told you this was gonna be long. I warned you. But this, is, this matters. And today's conversation actually sets up a challenging one in chapter five. So your assignment this week, if you choose to accept it, is to read all of 1 Corinthians 5. We're gonna look at all of it. And then we're gonna take chapter five and springboard from the one issue he's dealing with, and we're gonna look over the next few weeks after that, 
with the issues we're dealing with as a culture, which are not all in chapter five, but the principle from chapter five will guide all of our conversations. Holy Spirit of God, we need your presence to lead us and guide us into the way of Jesus that will not just know what is right, but will live into your way. God, we just come clean and we confess a lot of what we think about life is misinformed. We confess, Lord, we have not brought all of the ideas we've just adopted and we haven't thought about them in light of the Bible. We haven't submitted to the authority of other Jesus-loving people that you put in our life who've been encouraging us to walk in the way and we've just said, nah, it doesn't matter because here's what I think. Lord, we confess that we've been arrogant towards you. But you're a compassionate God, gracious, kind, loving. And so we submit our lives afresh to you, Holy Spirit of God, now lead us in the right response, we pray, that we'll love you more deeply, that we'll follow you more closely, that we'll honor you with our lips and our lives, and that we'll speak well of you to the culture that has chosen to throw you away. Jesus, you've sent us here to love them as we love ourselves. Help us, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right. Here's what I need you to do. If uh, God's been tugging at your heart about anything that you walked in with or you just heard, we want to respond in prayer. And the way we do here as a church is we humble ourselves. We get out of our seats when we sing and we go to the left and we go to the right and we kneel if we can or we stand and we offer up our life. Our steps, our physical movement matters because it says, God, I'm coming in your direction. So I would encourage you, if you would like to respond and Receive prayer over everything. No one's going to ask your name. No one's going to ask an issue. When you come up for prayer, someone's just going to slip behind you and pray God's mercy and grace and kindness. I would encourage you to do that now or anytime throughout the rest of the gathering. In a few moments, we'll grab the bread and cup and uh, we'll enjoy some good conversation in our groups this week.